Our gospel lesson today comes from Matthew's gospel, the 16th chapter, starting at the 13th verse and going through the 20th verse. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the updated edition. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Won't you pray with me? God of rejects and cornerstones, God of the despised and the rejected, God who has brought us thus far along the way so that we might not be defeated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you and you alone are our strong rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I first received the invitation to preach from your pastor for your 175th anniversary celebrations, I was intrigued by your history, especially the history of your building. A building is only part of the story of our church. Mostly it's the people, right? But you have to gather somewhere, and this is the place that you all have elected to gather in person. According to your history and how it's told, the granite used to build this building was hewn from Stone Mountain. Now many of you know that Stone Mountain bears the likeness of Confederate military greats, Jeff Davis, Stonewall Jackson, and Robert E. Lee. Many of you might be already connecting to what I'm trying to say. I bear the name and the ancestry of the man whose likeness is on that rock, the rock that was used to build your church, a rock that was engraved to memorialize a bygone era and the institution of slavery. So what do we do in moments like this? To me, it's clear that we should look to Scripture. Today we hear words from Matthew's Gospel, and this is one of my all-time favorite texts to preach. Because if you're not careful, the point of the Scripture will walk right past you on your way to lunch. 
Today we find Jesus in Caesarea Philippi asking seemingly meaningless questions to his disciples. He asks, who do you say I am? Sure, Jesus, we know we got this. We're, we're good. We're good. We, we're getting on to something else. We've got a meeting to attend later on today. We should just pass on by and get past this uh, mild-mannered questioning. Because the disciples in Matthew's gospel, if you read Matthew's gospel, they are mild-mannered. They just want to get to the next step. But Jesus is saying to them, hold on. Wait a second. I've got something to teach you. The disciples are there and they abdicate responsibility. They say, well, some say, not us, we're not those people, but those people say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets or Isaiah. What are those people? You're, you get it. You've heard the story, Jesus. And then it comes to Simon, Right? That's, that's the best part right there. Simon gets the answer right, but I don't think Simon knows how much that answer will cost him. Truly, you are the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus responds that he will build his church upon the rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against these things. But we've already missed something. Preacher, we've already missed something in our reading of the text. Because if you're not familiar with biblical archaeology, you have no idea what we just missed. If you went to the land today, if you went today, if you got on a plane at Hartsfield-Jackson and flew to Caesarea Philippi, the land that we know now, uh, Caesarea Philippi, if you flew there today, you would see a massive rock formation that is bigger than this church. And on that rock formation are carvings and icons to the military might of Rome and its empire. And below that rock formation sits a hole that the pagans would make sacrifice to. And it was literally called the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. Don't you just love when the text gives us new light? Jesus is saying that he is about to turn the world upside down so that it will be right side up. He's about to build his church on the back of an empire He's about to use the stones that the builders had rejected and make it the cornerstone. He's about to build his church on the back of an empire that thought it would last forever. Jesus is saying your idols of supremacy may be great, but Jesus knows a force that is greater. Jesus is telling Simon Peter that the rock that is hewn as an idol to an empire is about to pass away. It ain't going to be here forever, friends. You better wave to it as it passes by, Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling Simon Peter that the rock of idols will not stand. And that from its birthing, a church will come. So let me say to you, the rock of idols will not stand and from it, a church will come. Friends, 
a church, this is not just a church that's down the road that spends thousands of dollars to just prop up their pastor. This is a church that values the last and least, the orphan and the widow. This isn't a church, as, as Al Sharpton said at the Morehouse, that ha- doesn't have any trust in their trustees. This is a church that believes that its building should be used not for its own glory, but for the glory of God. This is a church that should lift up the lowly and call to task the mighty and the wealthy. A church that involves the dream of possibility instead of the nightmare of the past. This church, that church, the church that we're talking about is worth risking the gates of hell over. That church is both worth fighting with and fighting for. It's not lost on me that I have the opportunity to stand in a prophetic pulpit like this one and proclaim to you, much like Jesus proclaimed to Peter, that your church's very edifice was carved with the same materials that would later come an idol of white supremacy and racism. Though this building and that monument were quarried at different times, the resonance of rocks cry out. And we are tasked with singing a new song in Pharaoh's land. This church, the church, both this church and the church are required to think about new and different ways by which we will tell our story. We are to lift up folks. We are told in our communities, especially Atlanta, aren't we, to lift up our Confederate generals, to lift them up as, as, as Southern gentlemen. But Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Do you say that I'm those Confederate men, or do you say that I am equal and affordable housing for those who need it most? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, preacher, I didn't come to get politics in the pulpit. But we are called to confront oppression, racism, and injustice in whatever forms it presents itself. And if you think that's political, then the United Methodist Church is political. Because the liturgy that I was baptized into as a United Methodist, the liturgy that my children were baptized into as a United Methodist, calls us to task in this moment, as long as confederate monuments, as long as idols of white supremacy, as long as racism is still a part of the lexicon of our country. Until we end that, we have work to do. Until we confront that for what it is, we're not done. And we've all got work to do. The fullness of who God is And what God does in the world is laid bare today. It's not just Plato anymore. It's in each and every one of our faces. We were made to proclaim love on top of hate. Beauty on top of despair. Grace on top of inaction and complicity. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's pretty daunting. Because we've got lunch plans later. Because we've got things to do this afternoon. But the cornerstone that was rejected. That Jesus leads us to something different.
leads us along the way and beckons us to reckon with our past for the sake of our future. I stand as a testament to that. As a collateral descendant, as a nephew of the Confederate general, it has been made clear to me that it is my calling to reckon with and wrestle with the legacy and veneration of my distant ancestor. But in my own calling, I have invited others to reckon with their own place in the terrible history of our past, such as the history of Atlanta, something that Atlanta still feels ramifications from. The story of our callings as Christians as is to be saints with a past and sinners with the future. God is not done with us yet, and the great gates of hell will not prevail against us. The story of our church, the story of the church, the story of Atlanta First United Methodist is not only its ability to survive for 175 years against all odds. The story of the church, the mission of the church, is to dream. And you all have big dreams. My mom has a magnet that says, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And to me, that's the essence of the church. It may look like failure to the world, but this is gospel to those who need it. We may be rejected, neglected, and despised, but we cannot fail because people are depending on the church. With your new building project that you are breaking ground on here in just a few weeks, you are rejecting the notion of Stone Mountain and instead saying that you will build your church's future on the rock of Christ. What is it that old children's song says, the wise man built his house upon the rock? Because when the rains came tumbling down, right, his his house was not moved like the man who built his house upon the sand. You shall not be moved. Like a tree planted by the river, you shall not be moved. Your inclusion of people across socioeconomic, racial, gender, and sexual demographics enables you to put your money where your mouth is and say, here I stand, I can do no other. During the pandemic, my wife and I fell in love with two girls in foster care who were attending the church I was pastoring. And soon after, Athena and Phoenix would come to their forever home on Wood Street with us. It has been the most greatest and most abundant gift that I could ever receive. So much so, and shameless plug, that my fourth book, Fostering Hope, a prayer book for foster and adoptive families, was released this week. I tell you this because their story was grafted into the story of my family. I found new traces and resonances of graces I never thought possible. They're going to outshine Robert E. Lee every single day of their lives. They're going to change this old world. 
I have every faith in it because it has nothing to do with me or you, or, but it has everything to do with the church. They attend Castle Church, they call it, Broad Street United Methodist Church, a church much like this one. And they learn to pray and to sing and to love abundantly. If that's not the story of the church, I don't know what is, because I have continually been surprised by grace. Can you be surprised by grace in these old granite halls? Can you show the love of God in new and different ways, dear church? All these questions must be answered on your journey home. On your 175th anniversary, remember that some things don't last 17.5 seconds. If you watch TikTok, you know what I'm talking about. But in the light of eternity, 175 years is but a drop in the bucket. Don't give up. Don't give in. God has not brought you thus far to leave you here alone. Build your church on the rocks of grace. That love that will not let you go will ransom your captive soul and bring you home. I want to do something. I didn't just plug my book earlier because I want to sell copies. That's not my point. My daughter... Athena, my oldest daughter, Athena, wrote a prayer for this prayer book. And I want to close in this prayer in the spirit of not only her, but all those future generations who will come through the doors of this church, who will come through the doors of your affordable housing development in the, in the spirit of what God is about to do in this place. Because friends, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about your pastor, it's about those children who are about to walk through those doors. Because we have a story to tell of the nations. We have a story to share with the people. And if we don't do that, we would be complicit in the work of Stone Mountain. And that's something I want nothing to do with. Instead, I'd rather be bound to a five-year-old who has a prayer like this. Won't you pray with me? Dear God, we hope you have a good day in heaven. We hope you have healthy food. Thank you for our people. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen.